Hello and welcome to PMI's Uncommon Sense podcast, tools to improve your work forever. I'm Susanna Clark, Managing Partner with PMI. Our Uncommon Sense podcast is a 15-minute conversation with our expert consultants. They talk a lot of common sense, although much of it is not common practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. We want you to be inspired to improve your business through learning more about the tools which can help you succeed and grow. So it's great to be back in the Uncommon Sense studio and I've got Barry Byrne, Director Consultant at PMI with me today. Good to have you here, Barry. My pleasure. We're going to talk about Kanban. Kanban, indeed. I'm actually interested in why you chose to talk about Kanban because it's not necessarily, I think, I think it's got, for me, I think it's got to, some people think of it as very old fashioned and not necessarily something I hear a lot about. I mean, I know about it, but I don't hear a lot about it. Although we probably see a lot of it, we just don't appreciate it all around us. Kanban, as we know with many Japanese words, literal translation is a card I can see. It's something I can see, a signal that probably most closely mirrors what it is in reality. So Kanban appears as a consequence of us looking to establish pull systems. And pull systems essentially are in place in order to ensure that the processes that we have in place to deliver a product or service is matched to the customer demand, rather than what we often see is a push system where we build or we produce on an assumed demand, which of course can lead us to overproduction. So Kanban in in its most basic form, it talks about providing the opportunity to signal that something needs to happen. And the goal then being that not only can you produce when you need it, if I understand you rightly, but also you don't move into the waste of producing when you absolutely don't need it because you do know exactly where you are. Precisely. And this this then underpins the just-in-time concept that we we know and understand and love. In terms of just-in-time is we make only what is needed and only in the amount that is needed. So that's a, a significant departure from the conventional systems, which often were ones of, of assurance. So we would assure us by forcing into the system product plus plus. In my experience, it would have been unknown for organizations to overproduce in order to combat the perceived instability and unpredictable the nature of their production system. So just in time as a concept in its most basic form, easier than around making only what you want and only in the amount that is needed when it's needed. Now, there are some other additional quality characteristics associated with that book. No doubt we'll come on to them. But uh, the Kanban as a method, as a production communication method, is crucial in order to ensure that the synchronism of our entire production system from initial supply chain right the way through to the customer is following that metronomic and based on demand. So, and the demand can change, of course. But again, it's that regular metronomic approach to ensuring that I need something, I signal it, and it's delivered to me. I don't need anything. There is no need for a signal. Therefore, nothing needs to happen. And I wonder if you could give us some examples of where you have seen Kanban working really successfully and potentially sort of almost before and after. What was the problem and then how Kanban assisted with the solution? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to work with a a global aerospace company who operated on a system that meant that 
wor the workers, uh, our operatives, essentially control their own workflow. So what would you see? And um, what you would see is you would see a significant proportion of an oncoming shift, essentially assembling the tools, the parts, the components, the paperwork for their day's work. Now, of course, if I cast my mind back in history, that, that was a very common feature. You know, we could see that in shipyards, we could see our manufacturing plants, we would see it in aerospace. So perhaps I'm older than most, so I would have actually probably experienced that. The downside of that, of course, was whilst it was a phenomenally powerful social organization, in operational terms, it meant significant downtime, and therefore productivity and utilization would have been impacted as a consequence of that. So what was important then was to understand how do we essentially turn the system upside down such that rather than the worker going to the work and assembling that work, to come back to them, the work would be brought to the worker. And I think in terms of, as a concept, as a philosophical mindset shift, it had significance. So aligning Kanban with Hijunka, with, with other improvement methodologies that we see within their improvement, our lean toolbox, if you will, and value stream mapping and tact time and so forth, the transformation was dramatic in that the synchronism of the process, in other words, establishing what is that sequence and how should that, what is the, the scheduling of the work through, through a particular work system. And therefore, when does the work need to arrive at specific steps in the process? I mean, literally, that is how it would be. And it could be tracked accordingly on tracking boards and so on. So the work was brought to the worker and it was brought to the worker on the basis of a signal which was sent to the upstream station to flag, I need work. So I'm creating a space. So in many cases, you may see a physical space has been created. Now, in the early phases of that transformation, we operated essentially a milk float that traveled around the different workstations in order to see which ones were empty at their input station. So in the very early trial phases, it was fascinating and of course, an empty workspace meant fill me up, <laughs> give me my work. Now, subsequently, that has moved on now to electronic systems and that scheduling. So this electronic Kanban itself has now moved on in, in, in technological terms. But the principle is still the same. And of course, we see in our local supermarket where the withdrawal of, the, of your standard tin of beans is in essence a signal via the till when it's scanned that to decrement the volume of stock on the shelf by one or the volume and consequently to consider have we now reached a level in our stock holding that we need to engage the supplier to supply us with more so you, a lot of what we do is about informing us enabling us to make good decisions which might mean not doing anything <laughs> but i think i was fortunate enough to see from the conventional system where the worker went to the work to radically see an improvement in that, you know, operators were cognizant of where they were, the system was cognizant of where that particular workstation was, and consequently could then sequence the arrival and the scheduling of parts in line with the just-in-time concept. You see that today, for those who are fortunate to visit car production facilities, you will see key components arrive at the scheduled appointed time in the planning sequence itself. But that's essentially what it is in a, in a nutshell for Mises. And this can be as easy as well as, um, I mean, you're talking about it, obviously, in a plant. We've talked about 
the supermarket example, but also I've seen it when we've run training courses in the movement of paperwork from customer order comes in and how does that then order travel through a system and the lights coming on for people as they start to look at their work in that way and understand the difference between I'm sitting here and I'm empty, I've got nothing to do. And the person who is upstream of me has got loads to do and has not only got an, an in-tray that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but they can't process their own work quickly enough. And that whole sense of I'm calling for more work, but I'm not getting any, that physical sense of being able to see it has been absolutely revelationary for many people. Because like you talk about the milk float driving around, being able to see that shift. And so often digitally as well, so much of this is hidden from us. Yes, and if we imagine that what we're now doing is synchronising the rhythm of our system to the most downstream part of the process, which is where the customer is sitting. So, you know, we were cascading both information upstream into the system and then material, you know, the product or service coming downstream. And, you know, it's essentially seamless. This is fundamental now to our five lean principles. If we can't flow through our system, through hijunka level scheduling, if we can't flow, we say that then we will pull. And that mental, and you talked about emails and orders coming through, that mental flag that says we've had demand at the most downstream, that then is now cascading through our system in order to synchronize those stages and therefore the product or service would be coming through at the rate that's proportional to the customer demand. So I think it's important to imagine then that the Kanban element itself is of that communication signal. It's a communication means. However you do that, I've seen extremely complex electronics, perhaps for good reason, but I've also seen you know, magnetic cards being moved or, or T cards of, of any nature. And now within some of our own logistic processes, the principle of a Kanban card where, where we identify a, the stock levels in itself is one of those applications. As I see these processes trialed, there are some mindset and cultural shifts, of course, that need to be considered. And it is very much this, if I haven't demand, essentially that stops the process for me because I have confidence that the system will signal to me what I want, when I want it, in which volume and so on, and what's the sequencing related to that. So it does require a fundamental cultural shift and mindset shift. What's so hugely powerful. And it's hugely worth it because the way that people feel working in that system, they feel great, don't they? And Toyota, we've mentioned Toyota a number of times already. You know, Toyota appreciate the human element. And we, all, we talk about that in PMI, about intrinsic motivation of our people. So consequently, when the process is predictable, it's stable and predictable, and the demand is predictable, it therefore liberates us to be creative in lots of different ways. That's a fundamental difference shift to what I think people perceive it to be. It's comforting, that certainty, assuredness, that what we're doing actually is satisfying the customer, clearly, uh, the business is delivering. And the employees, of course, are being sufficiently inspired where they would want to continue to look for more ways of improving their system. That's what it is. Yes, and, and that inspiration to work in that way and to be have the freedom because you've got more time to think. Yes, and it's on the basis of us creating additional capacity that can be sold to other clients. 
And therefore, we see that optimistic, this broadening, looking for new avenues, new opportunities, I think is a hugely liberating bit. Wonderful. On that motivational note, I will say really interesting. My pleasure, Sue. I see Campbell through new eyes. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find more episodes of our Uncommon Sense Tools to Improve Your Work Forever in our Knowledge Hub on our website or, of course, your favourite podcast platform. And do subscribe so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode where you'll find links to more content on this topic, which includes webinar recordings, toolbox guides, blogs and infographics and our training page. You can always drop us a line on team at pmi.co.uk and arrange a time to have a call to talk about how these tools can help you in your organisation. We'd really love to hear from you.